everyone, welcome to Life of Brian dot 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 Mannix, that is the podcast that traces the life and times of our resident rock star, here he is in the back of a limo, actually he's in the front of a limo, on the way home from a gig, Brian Mannix. Kev, I'm shagged. <laughs> I, am, I am totally shagged. In fact, I don't think I've ever been more shagged than I have this weekend. And not only that, Kev. I'm busting for a piss. <laughs> you may have just gone and opened the way too much information file, but that's okay. We'll deal uh, with that. Uh, so you've been gigging with the Androids this weekend? Yeah, yeah. It's been really cool. Um, you know, this is the third gig I've done in eight days and each gig had a different set list. So there's been lots of memorising words and stuff this week. But, um, yeah, no, it's been great, really but isn't the universal rock on? Just, you know, don't you just use that when you're in trouble? Well, no, I tend to go... Rock on! And then what you do is you take your microphone around and you sort of look at it like, oh, the microphone's been... I did that for two and a half years at the Roxy Hotel. <laughs> we, have, we had to do Viva Las Vegas and it wasn't in a particularly great key for me. And there was this one big note that I just couldn't reach. So every night I'd mime it and then I'd oh, look at the mic, ah, oh, the lead must be playing up. <laughs> <laughs> the truth was I couldn't, I couldn't reach the notes. You know, fix to the trade, Kev. Fair enough. Now, listen, uh, Murcott's uh, Driving Excellence, uh, uh, an organisation who, who uh, don't cut any corners. They teach you how to go around them properly. They don't pull up short. They pull up in exactly the right distance because they know exactly what they're doing behind the wheel of a car and they'll teach you how to do that. I tell you what, you are on fire. They'll teach you how to uh, take a corner properly. This is brilliant. You're unfortunately I'm doing always, the, you're you're doing the vocal version of changing lanes on me as uh, as you're trying to speak. It's cutting in and out, unfortunately. I'm always in and out. I'm sorry, Kev. <laughs> but this time it's vocally. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, maybe you could continue the ad without me because um, I am in the middle of shitter's ditch on the way back from Bangalore or Bugami or whatever. Lovely people, but um, so I am a bit distant from uh, civilization. But I know one thing you do know, you do know Murcott's driving excellence number. one three hundred triple five five seven six. Remember that number again, one three hundred triple five five seven six. Give them a call now and um, organise some Christmas presents for the people you love and even the people you don't love. Exactly. Now, I guess on this show, we've got two absolute rippers on this show. Uh, Sharon Kaur is going to join us. The Kaur's are doing one show in Australia later this month up in the Hunter Valley at uh, big uh, the Hope Winery up there. It's the only show they're doing, so we are very lucky to get the chance to spend a bit of time with Sharon. Uh, and our other guest is a, is a great mate of yours. You've become really good friends since you did Dancing with the Stars together. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a ripper bloke and... Um one of the reasons that I got so far on Dancing with the Stars was because Johnny Ruffo and Fev 
Quinn and Favola, they kept voting for me because they liked <laughs> my jokes. So, um, you know, they helped me get through it. You know, like fancy voting for another contestant on a show that you're competing with, but they did and, you know, and I thank them for that. But, uh, no, he's a great guy and um, a very interesting guy with a, wow, what a story. Yeah, it is. A, it's a hell of a story, and he talks about the fact that he's been diagnosed with brain cancer, and it is it is terminal, and he knows that, and he's dealing with that. So, uh, I know it was it was tough for you to talk to him about it, but uh, but uh, he was he was terrific uh, in the conversation that we had with him about all that. Oh, look, he's, he's just such a lovely bloke, and we wish him well, and you know, I'll keep in touch with him, and hopefully, the bombers can do something good for him this year because they've been bloody rubbish for twenty years, Kev. Yes, <laughs> that's that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but, okay. but this one's called Life of Brian. Let's get stuck into our first guest. It is Johnny Ruffin, and then we'll have Sharon call a little later on. Uh, enjoy. Our guest on the show today is a mate of mine that I met oh, 10 years ago and we've kept in touch and we're great friends and I speak of my good mate and very talented Johnny Ruffo and... Uh, Johnny, let's where, where do we start? We start in Perth, I suppose. Um, you were a chippy or something, weren't you? Concreter. Come on, mate. Concreter. At least Kevin knows. Concreter. <laughs> a concreter. Okay. Well, you know. Chippy and concreter couldn't be, couldn't be further apart. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I knew it was some sort of tradey sort of thing, you know. As you, um, so anyway, you, you're a concreter. You're living in Perth and for some reason... You're buried for Essendon, which is quite bizarre. What made you choose Essendon? Uh, James Hurd. He was my okay. favourite footballer of all time. I just, when I was a kid, I was watching footy and James Hurd just, he was the best. And I, I just loved watching him play. He was just the epitome of football. He had everything he represented was just Everything about footy, and yeah, he was the reason I supported Essendon. Everyone in my family supported a different team. Right. My brother supported North Melbourne. My dad was a Fremantle supporter from '95 onwards. My mum was a West Coast supporter. So there was a there was a good uh, rivalry in the household. Yes. It made it in, it made it interesting. Did you, you know. play yourself? Yes, I did. I love football. I played for. Oh, God, how many years? Probably 20 years. Wow. Yeah, probably 20 years, up until I was 23, 24. I started probably when I was four. I was kicked when my brother and I used to head down to the park and have a kick. Were you any good? I was fairly good. I played at East Perth, which is sort of the equivalent of uh, VFL, I suppose, but for the Colts, which is not the same age group. What was that, 18, 17, 18 year old? Right, so right. you're concreting, you're playing footy, but you're singing. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's a bizarre mixture. <laughs> a singing footballer, fantastic. What made you start singing and what made you say, stuff that I'm going on the X Factor? We were at home one night and the 25th anniversary, I believe it was, it may have been 30th, of the Jackson 5 from Michael Jackson was on television. It was the night before the uh, September 11 attacks oh, on, yeah. the, uh, on the Twin Towers, and that was on. And I watched that, and I just, something about it made me want to 
entertain people. You know, you see the 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 back and forth with the crowd. You can you sort of have them in the palm of your hand. You know, Brian. Uh, yeah, having that ability to bounce off of the the audience, you can't beat yeah. that feeling. Watching them do it, like to that level, I never, I never thought that I was ever going to achieve that particular level because that's a level that nobody can really achieve, mm. and I don't think anybody ever will again. Well, you feel like. Well, you, you know, you, you achieved quite a bit. Tell us about the X Factor. What you, you go and audition and then what happens? So basically you go and audition and your first audition is in front of producers and they determine whether you're good enough to make the next level. And then once you've been given the green light, so to speak, in front of the first producers, you then go on to the next set of producers where there's, a vocal coach, there's one of the higher-up producers, and basically there's a, a sort of a, a pyramid of producers until you get to the television audition where you audition in front of the four judges, which were, for me, Ronan Keating, Natalie Bassingthwaite, Guy Sebastian, and Melanie B from the Spice Girls. Ah, oh, yes, Mel B. And you did well on that show. Yeah, I did okay. I made the grand final. I got third in the end, which, yeah, I was happy with third. You know, made the grand final. Can't complain. No, uh, very well. I was not the greatest singer. I wasn't the greatest dancer on the show. I wasn't the best looking on the show. But, you know, one thing that I, I will say is that I was probably one of the hardest working people on the show. Every right. every week I would take some of the criticism that I was given and go away and work my ass off at that particular criticism that I got in that particular week, I would try to improve. And then the, and then the following week when I performed, they couldn't pick at that same area again, so they would have to find something else to pick at. So from there, did you get the record deal? Uh, yes. Yeah, so basically, after the grand final, I was offered a record deal with Sony Music, it was a 360 deal. What's a 360 deal? You get everything and you get nothing. Oh, that deal. Yeah, I know that deal. Yeah, that, you know, that deal. You know it all too well. You know it all too well. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think everyone knows it initially. initially and, and the problem is with that deal, you kind of have to sign it in. Like your first, most artists' first deals are 360. They get your touring your merchandise, uh, writing, your sales, your, you know, yeah. basically everything, typical, you know. Typical record deal. <laughs> they always well, tell you a bit anyway. Well, classic 360 deal. Basically 360 degrees, I think. <laughs> oh, fair just, enough. Just back on X Factor for a tick, Johnny, was that a was it an enjoyable experience? I mean, you talk about, you know, learning all the time and working really hard and all that, but did you actually enjoy it? Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I made some uh, good friends from it. I'm friends still with Guy Sebastian, you know. Uh, I, I don't see him as often as I uh, I did whilst being on the show. But, um, yeah, you know, we're still friends. And, yeah, I had a great time on the show, and I learned so very much. Like, growing up, for me, I didn't have the, the possibilities that uh, some of the others did. Like, I didn't 
have the opportunities to do vocal lessons and, and, and some of these other things, for dancing and whatnot. So being on the show, they had all these, you know, different opportunities to do vocal lessons and every time there was an opportunity for me to, to grab onto one of these opportunities and, and just run with it, I would be like, yeah, I mean, I'd throw my hand up straight away without a shadow of a doubt and I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I was like a sponge just ready to soak everything up. Because you were self-taught in terms of your musical instruments, so I'm assuming you were self-taught in terms of your singing as well. That just was whatever came out, came out. Yeah, exactly. Like Everything that I learned uh, had been self-taught. I didn't have any wow. opportunity to have lessons or anything. So guitar, keyboard, uh, singing, dancing, everything was self-taught. Like it'd be just watching a video or something on TV. So the Michael, like I was saying before, the Michael Jackson's 25th anniversary show that they did, I recorded that and that's pretty much how I learnt <laughs> to dance. So I would play a little bit of it and then run to my bedroom and practice it and then I'd have to run back to the lounge and rewind it. And then play a little bit, play a little bit more. <laughs> what year was the X Factor? That would have been the year before we did Dancing with the Stars. So That's what I thought of 2011. We did Dancing yeah. with the Stars in 2012. 12, yeah. Yeah, right. So you've gone from one big show to another big show straight away. And, you know, I remember when we got there the first day, it says, you know, people interviewing you all over the joint and they're going to me. Well, who do you think will win? And I just said straight out, Johnny Raphael, when he dances like Michael Jackson, there's, there's no doubt. And, <laughs> and like well, idea. <laughs> you know, I reckon to the judges, like, you know, every week you were clearly the best, I reckon. And, but the judges, they kind of don't want it to look like, oh, Johnny's going to shit this in. So <laughs> they kind of picked on you a little bit. I saw a lot of your dances, you got marked down, and they were really, really good. But um, eventually the cream rises to the top and uh, you win the competition. How about that? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> you, should be, you should have been one of the judges. So, so did, Johnny, did you say when they asked you who you thought would win it, did you say, oh, that Brian Mannix, twinkle toes over there, he's just got it done? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, um, the cha-cha champions? <laughs> Forever etched in history, etched in history. <laughs> uh, totally undefeated. And of course, that Cha um, Cha champion group, Kev, is me, Johnny, and Fez. And I never thought I'd ever be, you know, having a few kicks with Fev, but we did. We were kicking all over the joint and, and we won the Cha Cha <laughs> champions. And then me and Fev and Johnny went to um, the footy on Anzac Day. We'd been there for about a minute, one minute, and it well, wasn't that long. Did. Well, it wasn't even that long. We'll oh, so we, we, we were at the footy, and this number, the, you know, the, the big screen that they show the game on when it's at, the footy's at the other end, uh, there's a number that came up. If, if, uh, if anyone's causing any trouble, text this number, and we'll send security to their seat, and we'll have them barred from the game. So, Fev and I, we sent Brian to get some drinks and Fev and I having a laugh <laughs> and we said, oh, we have to, we have to get security to come here and, 
and get Brian thrown out or have them just have a chat with him. <laughs> so I texted the number and said, oh, the, the, uh, the patron in seat XYZ has been causing a lot of trouble and trying to start fights. <laughs> so the security comes over and, and tries ripping Brian out of his seat. So I literally had to get up and stop him because <laughs> they were about to throw Brian out of the game. And I hadn't done anything. I just standing there and then the guy's coming up. He's going, now, listen, you've got to cut out the foul language and stop causing trouble. And, going, and it was just like, there's not really much point in arguing with this because it's just going to make it worse. They so just go, yeah, okay, won't happen again. Oh, what a day. So yeah. meanwhile, the two blokes next to you are pissing themselves laughing, going, yeah. Oh, you should have when we when we were doing the Team Cha-Cha Champions, Fev and Johnny were picking me up and throwing me to each other like a ball. It was very funny. <laughs> oh, God, that was great. I think there's yeah, some footage was... of that somewhere. Yeah, I think there is, actually. Um, so you win uh, Dancing with the Stars and then, you know, not no time for a rest, then straight into Home and Away. Is that is that right? Yeah, more or less. The following year I auditioned for Home and Away. So they knocked me back a couple of times. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought I was a shilling. I thought, oh, I've got this. <laughs> and they said, no. They said, no, 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 like three or four times. I thought, you know, I've got this. I'm cha-cha champion. I thought I was kicking goals. My friends, you know, this is this will be a, this will be straight through the centre. And they're like, no. Nah. I went and did some uh, a bit of coaching. And I had to audition maybe three or four times to get a role on there. I suppose everybody's probably assumed what I assumed, that you're just going to be a walk-up start. But that wasn't the case at all. You know, I had to actually knuckle down and, and do a bit of uh, work, which is good, you know, because I didn't want to I didn't want to be handed the role. Yeah. So it was, uh, how it, how it was the whole experience on Home and Away? Was it fun? Yeah, it was great. I made some incredible friends on there. You know, I'm really, really good friends with Lynn McGranger, who plays Irene Roberts. She's been on the show for... Ever. 28, but yeah, forever, more or less. She's been on the show for, I think, nearly 28, 30 years. So I've been uh, lucky enough to be on some incredible shows, whether they be, you know, reality or talent shows or whatnot, uh, acting gigs and... And I've made some great friends, so I'm very fortunate in that area. Three years as so was it Chris Harrington was the, the character you played in Home and Away? Yeah, Chris Harrington. He was a bit of a, a bit of a larrikin. He wasn't the smartest guy going around, like myself. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really good experience, I think. And I, I went on to, to, to do another acting gig in uh, House of Bond. Which yeah. Was a show about Alan Bond and his escapades. Yeah. You played uh, his manager or something, didn't you? No, I played his mate. It was actually, I'm friends with a lot of people in Perth and I actually got to meet his wife, Red. Oh. And I spoke to her about the character and she was telling me that it was sort of an amalgamation of several p- different people. The guy that I played's name was Dave. 
That's right. They put a, yeah. put a lot of effort into that. It was a really good miniseries. It's it terrific. So when did you get sick? Oh, that 2017, August the 7th. Oh, I don't think I'll ever forget that date. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was one of the worst experiences that I've ever had. I just, uh, it, it came out, out of nowhere. It was just like blinding headaches to start with, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And, and you know, everyone gets headaches, but you never think, sure, this is brain cancer. It's the last thing on your mind is, this is cancer. Like, how many headaches have you had in your lifetime? You can't, you've lost count, right? Like you'd... Most mornings I've got a headache from, it's called a hangover, but um, yeah, I've had lots of headaches. <laughs> yeah, but, um, right? Yeah. That's my point. And I'm like... They, they, they found a tumour or something, didn't they? And you had to have a big operation? Yeah, well, luckily, by this stage, this was many years later, I was with Tani and we were at home and she was trying to speak to me and I couldn't form a sentence, literally. was trying to, just an everyday, she was just asking me how to boil an egg. Like she wanted the perfect egg. Like, she wanted a runny inside and toast, she wanted to be able to dip the egg, and me being an expert at everything, or so I think, I, uh, I was saying, you have to put it in for this exact amount of time, but then I couldn't actually form the words to say that, so I so just couldn't, so, yeah, I couldn't speak to her, and she's like, nah, this is something's wrong, get in the car right now, we're going to the hospital. So she took me to the hospital, and they said, oh, it's just a migraine. This all happened after several trips to the doctors and they'd just sent me home saying it was just migraines here. We'd send him home with Panadol or just something a little bit stronger, maybe perhaps Endone and just say, you know, if it gets any worse, just bring him back and we'll have a look. And anyhow, it did get worse. So she just took me straight to the emergency department at the hospital and they sent her home and said, look, we'll we'll take a look at him overnight will flush his system out with saline. They put me on a drip and they put me on anti-nausea medication and they tried calling her the next morning but they had one number in her phone number wrong. So they were calling and calling and they just couldn't get through to her. So she eventually called them and said, look, uh, is what's going on? I've, I haven't had any phone calls from you. And they said, oh, thank God that you called. We've been trying to call you all morning. Uh, he, he fell into a coma overnight and we put him to an MRI scan and found that he had a seven centimetre tumour in his head, roughly the size of like a tennis ball or a cricket ball or something. Shit. And we need to do an emergency operation, but we can't do that without the permission. So they needed permission to do that and they'd been trying to call her to get permission. Yeah. She had to rush in to sign the paperwork in order to give them permission to do the operation. I can only imagine how crazy it had been for her because I was out of it, so I had no idea that any of this was going on. It was a risky operation too, wasn't it? There was a chance you yeah, were well, get off the operating table. Yes, absolutely. There was a 20% chance that, uh, that I wasn't. Like yeah. But... She's like, well, he has to have the operation because 
if he doesn't have it, there's a hundred percent chance he's not going to make it. Wow. So it's not really an option, is it? Like, no, if, no, of course not. If he doesn't have it, he's definitely going to die. Well, there's no really. It's not really a choice, then, is it? No, not really. It, it's no. sort of at that point where uh, you know. It's, I don't know. I don't know. Anyhow, I think you. I think you made the right decision. I yeah, look, you know, I admire the way you've, you've handled this, you know, you sort of, you're always in good spirits and um, very positive and yeah, but you know, some people might not be able to pull that off, but you can and you do and you, you know, just look what I saw you last week and um, you know, you're in good shape and good company and yeah, it's um, good, but it's, it's an ongoing battle for you now, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's days where I don't want to get out of bed or I just don't want to get up or I just want to give up and mm. not fight it anymore but and not do chemotherapy and I just, I, I've had enough. I'm just like, no, nah, I'm not doing this anymore. I want to stop doing chemo. I want to stop doing treatment. I want to stop everything because it's just all too hard. But if you do that, then it wins. It beats you, you know? Yeah. And I just think that that's not, for me, that's not the way to go. I think there's, I, I have to keep fighting, not just for me, but just so for, for your family and for everybody. Oh, absolutely, yeah. for everyone that I love. And, and yeah. just not even that, just because I want to beat this son of a bitch, you know. I don't want it to, mm. I don't want it to, to rule my life. I don't want it to determine the trajectory of my life. You know, I'm hmm. I'm still going to live my life. I'm not going to stop and just say, okay, well, I've got cancer now. That's how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my life. Woe is me. I've got cancer. Oh, well. That's it. I think you still have to live. You still have to... You know, I can eat quite easily, you know, go into a shell and just... Yeah be that person who's, oh, I love that cancer. And then every time, you know, just you find that people don't necessarily want to, not bother you, but it's, it's people don't want to. Well, they're not sure how to react. Yeah, or associate mm. themselves with that behaviour. It's like, yeah. oh, I don't want to, I don't want to call him, I don't want to bother him because he's, a bit flat at the moment or he's low or he's down and out. But, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. How do you want people to treat you, Johnny? Do you want them to treat you uh, as if they just did like pre- a normal bloke. Like, yeah, absolutely. Just like a normal bloke. Yep. Like, the way Brian treats me. He gives me a call. Oh, yeah, mate. And then we chat about footy. Ah, oh, it's some shit at the moment, you know. There's <laughs> an ongoing conversation. Like <laughs> <laughs> you know, just exactly the way that Anyone else would give you a call on a, on a normal, any any other given Sunday, you know, like just the way that you would call any mate. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. Think- th- it's hard though for people who who care for you a lot to to do that to to park it to yeah. park the cancer to one side and just and just do that. That's really difficult. I understand that, but you can still ask me questions. Like people will say, "How you doing? Like you know, how how things going? Like how you feeling?" and 
How important was that for you to do that? Well, it was fairly important because I, I wanted to write the book not just for writing a book purpose, but also I wanted to write a book to get my story out there and to help other people have a similar mentality. Like, not don't, you know, crawl back into your hole and just give up. Oh, well, yeah. I've got cancer now. That's it. All done. Don't... don't you know, you've got to find something. Find find something to fight for. Find a little bit of fight. Even just find it in you to be able to carry on, just to be able to keep kicking on. You know, there's, everyone's, got, everyone's got a reason to keep tucking on and just to keep pushing through. You just have to find what it is. Yeah. There's, How long did always, it take you to write? Sorry. About, probably about 12 months. Right. Given that my memory's gone to shit. So Tony had to fact check everything. <laughs> She's like, nah, that didn't happen that way. She's like, that didn't happen that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> so many things that I'd written down. She's like, that definitely didn't happen like that. And I'm like, what do you mean? I definitely, I definitely was. Doesn't she understand you don't let the facts get in the way of a good story? All right. <laughs> that old yarn. <laughs> but the bit where you and wrote that you won the X Factor, no, 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 she had, she did have to change that. Yeah, right. I said I definitely won X Factor. <laughs> <laughs> definitely won it, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. How's the book going? Is it selling well? I think so. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely. Uh, a billionaire like J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the reaction been, Johnny, from people that have contacted you? Because I know people find a way to contact you. And, and uh, what, what, what sort of reactions have you had? Um, we've had we. I say we. I always say we, as Tani and I. I always say we've got cancer because she's honestly in this as much as I am. Yep. So uh, we had a pretty good reaction, and everyone that's come to a book signing or people find ways to reach out to you. It's been great. It's been really like, I I don't know how to quite put it into words, but it's been sort of bittersweet because there's obviously a lot of people reach out who have experience, have some sort of experience with cancer, which is horrible but also it's helped them in some sort of way, mm. which I hate to say it, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's good and bad. Like, it's, it's great that they've found some solace in it, but it's shit that they've had to go through what they're going through. Yeah. You know, in, in order to, it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a little bit of bittersweet. It's, it's, yeah. 
I love that they've read the book and found that it's helped them in some sort of way. And I'm quite proud that I've been able to help several people. But I have also hate that the fact that they've had to, they've been diagnosed with such a terrible disease. Mm. Have, have any of them helped you in, in oh, dealing with it? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Like every time you... The fact that you're helping people helps me. Yeah. The fact that I know that I've reached so many people through having written this book has helped people. And and having this was part of my goal in the first place. Having you know, knowing that I've set out to do a goal and have achieved that in some sort of way. Well, it's a, it's a really good achievement because, you know, a lot of people just write a book and, uh, yeah, it's a piece of entertainment, which yours is very entertaining. It's also, it works on a deeper level as well. So, you know, that's sort of, I'm, you know, I'm sure if we got Fev's book, I don't know that it would um, be as deep or work on as many levels as yours would. Yeah. Well, I'll be sure to tell him when I see him that you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. It's good. I I feel good that I'm able to help people through having written the book. How's um, how's Tani? Um, She's good. She's, oh, without her, I'd I'd have given up already. She's everything. She's just, yeah, she's my rock. She's been an absolute star. She's, I don't know how I would have gotten through this without her, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, she's been, I'm surprised she hasn't left yet. She's been an absolute rock. Like, honestly, she's, she's gone. She's everything. Like, you know, I don't know. She puts up with me for starters. (laughs) She's a a great girl and, um, you know, she has been your rock, you know. She's been with you all the way and continues oh, to do so. so God scared. bless her. Yeah, you're not wrong. She's guardian angel. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, thanks for sharing, uh, you know, your thoughts and your, and your story with us. We really appreciate it. And should, people should go and grab a copy of No Finish Line and have a read of it and, and, and get, the, get the whole gist of it. But um, thank you so much for having a chat. It's been really good, mate. Yeah, well, thank you, you so John. much for having me. You guys have been great. Thank Our you. pleasure. She's the kind of girl who's wrong but so right. Don't want to bring it home to mama, mama. She got me doing things I can't describe. I better watch out for her father, father. Oh, she's done it.
There you go. That's one of uh, Johnny's, uh, one of the singles that was released with his uh, record deal. We're going to play another one a little later on uh, in the program to finish the program off this week. want to play one that he wrote um, about uh, about what's been going on in his life and a, a kind of get-away-from-it-all song that he wrote that we'll, we'll play a little later on. Hey, Brian, you know when you do Absolutely 80s, and you know when Scotty says to you, Brian, it's time for you to leave the stage while I do a little couple of numbers here and take people through a little journey that just on my own and I don't need you to help? Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're going to do now on this podcast. So please welcome Scott Kant. No, I'm joking. Uh, wow. <laughs> you're you're going to have a little holiday while uh, I have a talk to uh, to Sharon Core well, because... It's not, it's not. It's not pronounced like that. <laughs> and that and that may well be why I uh, um, why you're not in this interview. No, we'll explain explain to it. Well, it was it was an early morning. morning. Yes, it was an early morning one because Sharon lives in Madrid, so uh, we organised it. And as it turned out, it was uh, well, it was in the middle of sort of floods everywhere as well too. But uh, she does live in Madrid, so um, it was an early morning one, and I I did it on my own. I took one for the team, Brian. Well, you know, I just, you know, I would have had to stay up all night to do a 7am thing and then I'd be no use to anybody. So um, I appreciate that you did that, Kevin, yeah. one for the two. Oh, it was tough. It was tough, Brian, sitting on a, you know, a Zoom meeting for 20 minutes with Sharon Core. I'm telling you, it was, oh, it was tough, Brian. Oh, she's stunningly beautiful. Oh, she, she's absolutely and, and, gorgeous. But, but, but more than that, um, great. Great band. Oh, great she's songs. an incredible and, um, musician. And she's a very smart woman. Yes, as you'll find out in this interview I did with her just recently. I'm Kevin. Oh, Kevin, nice to meet you. Hey, one show in Australia, That the, the obvious question is what, why just the one sir? Well, I'm, you know, I reckon it's the precursor to more. You know, it's, uh, I, I, I suppose, you know, uh, we're just sort of, testing the ground a little. Um, you know, this is what we, you know, we were offered this, you know, somebody come up with this idea and we went, well, sounds great. You know, nice winery concert. and It's a great size concert. Um, and I suppose it's just, you know, a way to sort of begin again, you, you know? Yeah, so that's basically why. There's not a huge rhyme or reason. It just, what it seemed a concert that we, we all agreed to do. Um, and, we, and, you know, I, I think it's just going to set us up for a lot more. It's been five years since the, the last live show? Of the course, yeah. In, yeah, 2017, the Albert Hall. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. So is it is it logistically hard to, to get you all together to do, I mean, to do family things obviously is, is different to doing a show. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is, you know, we do have, you know, sort of competing lifestyles. And, you know, I live in Madrid. Jim's in Northern Ireland, Andrea's in Dublin, Caroline's in Somerset. We all have kids of varying ages. But, you know, my motto in life is where there's a will, there's a way. You know, I don't really see impediments. I just see solutions, you know. So we've managed it this time. I reckon we'll manage some more. Sometimes it's timing for people, you know. It's just timing. Yeah. What happens when you get together? Is the is the spontaneity and the chemistry just a natural flowing thing? Uh, it kind of is, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's sort of, when we haven't done it in a while, I mean, I've, you know, I, I'm a solo artist, so I've released a new album, so I'm like sort of continuously doing it. But the thing is, is that it's like there's a little bit of sort of 
nervous excitement, you know, when we do get back together. And, you know, you can't take the magic for granted, you know. No matter what we are, we do have something pretty special between us musically. And yes. it's 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 the thing that we have. Um, so I suppose it's just sort of trusting in it and letting it flow. This concert that we're going to do is basically like a greatest hits concert. That's what makes sense. So becoming reacquainted with the songs and maybe finding, um, you know, versions around them and extensions around them. And that sort of thing is going to be interesting. So the set list is a very important set list and, and managing the arc of it. Um, but we... We can do that. I mean, I you know, I remember the last time we were doing the the Albert Hall, and I remember laying on the floor, you know, in in the in the rehearsal room, just with the bass player, and going, "Oh, you like this, and then this next, and how's this going to work?" And then let's move this up here. But it's just a everybody does their thing, and it works, yeah. you know. When you go back and listen to those songs, and some of them are you know quite old now, you know, twenty years old. Yeah. Yeah. Do you discover something in them sometimes that you didn't feel was there when you did them at the start? It's uh, a good question. Um, I don't know. Have I discovered in them? No, I don't. There, there are songs yeah. sometimes that will that will not mean anything to you when they come out, and five years later you'll be doing something and you'll hear the song and you go, "Oh my god!" I think because sometimes songs provoke memories. You know what I mean. So I think the thing is is that you know around the time of you know breathless. I mean, Breathless sort of was number one in 21 countries around the world, you know, simultaneously. That's insane. And I remember the moment of being backstage and we were in Hyde Park. I think we were maybe doing Princess Trust concert or something like that. I mean, life was a bit of a roller coaster back then. And I think our sort of radio representative from the from the record company and so, you know, came up and went, you're number one in 21 countries. And we were like... Holy shit, you're kidding me. Speak my language. Um, and then it was like, you go on stage. You, you know? And it's like, sometimes those moments are like super weird. But now, sort of breathless triggers that moment for me all the time. And I can sort of see us in our outfits and like, you know, super young and, you know, a little bit sort of, you know, uh, frazzled from running around the world. but And then, you know, um, exposed, I suppose, in a way. Runaway is one that always brings stuff for me because Runaway was the first song we ever released and it was the last song to go on, on Forgive Not Forgotten. And it's kind of curious how it happened because we were recording with David Foster in um, Los Angeles. I mean, that was like, we were like kids straight out of a small town in Ireland and it was just like, <gasps> oh my God, this is L.A., you know, we had recorded the vast majority of the album. Um, and then one day, myself, Colin and Andrea were, were just singing and playing this song that we'd been sort of doing at home in Dundalk. Um, and David walked in and he goes, what's that? And it, this is so typical. It's so typical. And he goes, oh, my God, we have to record that, you know. Um, and then Jim changed the chord sequence into a minor sequence at the end. And it just had that beautiful sort of slight darkness come in that sort of made it more haunting. Um, and then that was the first song we ever heard on radio, you know. Wow. Do you, do you remember that moment, hearing hearing your song on the radio for the first yeah. time? I do. I mean, I do remember being in a, in a car somewhere in the United States. Uh, I, I'm not sure where it was because we were just 
commuting from city to city, sometimes three cities a day. Um, so it was just somewhere. I mean, you know, it's also the factor of you're turning up to a radio station, so they play your song before you get there. It's like <laughs> they've been playing it all along, and then they don't ever play it again. You know, so we're kind of in the car going, well, that's great, but are they ever going to play it again? <laughs> <laughs> As a long-time radio presenter, have been guilty of doing that on uh, occasions with... Very with, bold. Yes, yes, you know, it's... With, you, Radio blokes don't get to pick the music as much as they used to uh, back in the back in many many years ago, unfortunately. Yeah, one of the things that really worked for the cause in Australia, and I think one of the reasons that we major reasons we broke Australia, is because your radio wasn't as how would you call it overly branded, um, cut into sort of parts that you go, oh, this is a successful marketing strategy and we only need a certain amount of words in a sentence and then you need an ad break. Your radio was kind of free flow when the rest of the world could change. And the DJs were making the decision to play our songs because they could. Yep. And that was amazing. And then they were responding to people phoning in apart from our record company out there did an absolutely exceptional job. So, you know, and that's a rare thing to say, I have to say, you know, <laughs> but, you know they were awesome, you know? Um, so that's one of the things, that's why we broke because people had the opportunity to actually listen to our music. Yeah. When you look back on that, on that time and you mentioned how crazy it was, three American cities in one day and all that, did you actually enjoy it? Were you able to enjoy it or you, were you just so caught up in it that it just, happened both definitely enjoyed it i mean you know we'd be hitting radio stations like the american sort of you know timing on stuff is just off the chart you know it's like it's like you head into sort of the today show in new york and you know you have to turn up at two in the morning to rehearse and, and it's freezing cold it's like it's like it's like you know sub-zero you're absolutely frozen and you're supposed to look good yeah. even though you're half dead so and then it's like, it's like, you know, when you sort of see that dynamic of these people, they're just as a whole other subculture up at two in the morning, you know, working. Um, so, I mean, and, you know, there were moments where you're, you're just kind of like, you're, you're tired and you're grumpy. I need more coffee. You couldn't get enough coffee into me. And, um, and then there was other moments where we're just laughing our asses off because we've got way too much makeup on for like it's now six in the morning and we're recording on the street you know and you're just laughing and then you're wearing a flimsy little dress and it's absolutely sub-zero you know it's like all of those so we used to laugh we used to laugh a hell of a lot Jim's pretty much super funny so he he really sees the sort of mad side of situations you know well your sense of humor gets you through all that stuff doesn't it? it gets you through the good bits and the bad bits Sense of humour gets you through everything in life. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, you mentioned it's a greatest hits uh, set, and and then coming up with the set list is obviously something new. Would uh, when do you start? When do you start working on that? When do you go and blow the rust out of the the pipes, and everyone gets back together and starts <laughs> rehearsing? Well, we're getting on a WhatsApp group at the moment, and we're just going through, you know, the songs, and then we're going, you know, to be, and then we sort of checked out, you know, because the releases are different in different parts of the world, so we checked out, you know, you know what did really well in Australia and what was actually released, because some songs that were released in Australia were now were not released in other parts of the world, um, and then we're kind of going, yeah, but do we really want to do that song? Is it that great? You know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, we don't. 
we don't suffer from a lack of songs. Mm. We have so many songs to choose from, nor a lack of albums. It's going to be a great set. It's also just about the flow. So we're, we're literally going back and forth sort of all day, ideas, ideas, how to start, you know, where to end, what's the middle point, you know, it's this sort of thing. So, I mean, between us, we'll, we'll definitely get there. And then I go, well, we go to rehearsal in um, November in Dublin, and that's just going to be sort of a process of playing, enjoying, and then eliminating and thinking, no, this will work there, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I want to mention the commitments because it, it was what introduced you and the and yeah. the and the band and everybody to, to the world. You've yeah. not what you've not you don't go back and watch it again. I've I've seen an interview where you, you said you haven't seen it in forever in a day and you probably don't want to go back and see it forever in a day. But where does it I'd rather stick needles in my eyes. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I look like a frightened fat bird in that. It's like, you know, like that puppy fat, you know, when you're super young. And I just look, I look terrified. Um, now, and it's actually, what's really cool about it is that, you know, the part's so small that you actually, most people never saw me, so that was great. You know, it was the reason we got on stage together, regardless of the film. The phone wasn't, you know, it was a launching pad in a way, something to talk about. However, we didn't have big parts. Andrea had a stronger part in it, but there were big parts. But the point was, is that we actually first got on stage of the band together, you know, and that was the catalyst, yeah. you know. Yeah. Has the, has the acting thing ever ever been part of, of what you wanted to do or did, did was that little taste of it then enough for you to go, no, I'd rather be a musician and, and have my fun doing that? I don't tend to mix sort of ideas like that. I mean, I think that, you know, definitely there are singers who are good actors and and, and, uh, and vice versa. They're pretty rare, though, um, and usually they're better at one. And I, I don't really like to dip into that sort of area of confusion. I just love my, I love music. I, I just eat it, breathe it, and it makes me feel good and stops me getting depressed, you know? So... You know what I mean? It's like music mm. is the, for me, writing is the greatest therapy in the world. Uh, so it just, I don't know, it's just part of my DNA. Uh, yeah, I did another little sort of acting stint, which I enjoyed way more, but only because, you know, a friend of mine got said, would you turn up for this? Because, you know, we're trying to help out these young directors. Um, so it was just actually something different to do with a bunch of complete strangers, which I really enjoyed. But no, I've never had the bug. Never, not yeah. in my life. Yeah. I can tell by the the room that you're sitting in. There's a massive piano and the instruments yeah. at the back there, and that you obviously yeah. the solo thing. I, I want to talk about that as well. That's obviously been something that's been really important to you as well. Very important part of my soul of of my identity, of sort of understanding who I am. You know, um, my last album, The Fool and the Scorpion. You know, was a sort of kind of a rebirth in my life, you know, my whole life completely changed in, you know, the last seven years. And But the, the beautiful thing, and that's why I say that music is my therapy, because when I was going through an absolute storm of change in my life, the piano and writing was my absolute sanctuary. And it became like a, a sort of process of just coming right through me, you know. And it was amazing. Like, I, I do remember, you know, hiding under the covers one morning 
didn't want to get out of bed because I had too many problems. Um, and it was like, oh, God, no, not again. And I'm in the bed and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. And I hear this motif in my in my head. And it's like, dun, 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 you know, and, and I'm like, oh, God, there, there's a song. There's a song on the way. So I went, you know, get your ass out of bed. Excuse my language. I hope nobody minds. I'm Irish. And I, my excuse anyway. Um, I so, and I, I got out of bed, walked straight to the piano, and I'd written this song under a daylight moon, you know, within three hours completely from head to toe. And, and you know, that was like, and then I'm like, then I'm smiling. It started off as a really bad day. And then I'm like, look what you got out of that. And it just, it expressed everything I was thinking. And it expressed my sort of wanting to jump back into a fairy tale or not that you're ever in one, but, you know, just sort of to sort of believe and see the magic in the world and not just see the bleak picture. You yeah. know, that's, you know, it can be, you know, just your immediate surroundings. It's not the whole world. You know. Do you get that same feel when with a with a cause song as you do with the stuff that you write yourself? It's a different feeling. Certainly on Jupiter Calling, stuff was um, kind of very elemental. You know, with us, uh, it was an extremely organic process. I mean that that album, you know, the last album that we did, yeah, uh, you know, it was it was pretty much recorded live. It was all playing at the same time in Rack Studios in London you know, which is screens sort of between us, you know, and felt everywhere and rugs and stuff. And that was kind of beautiful. We have different sort of ways of writing. Andrew and Jim would tend to partner up. Andrew and Caroline would tend to partner up. I write a lot on my own. So on, on that album, I would have written a couple of songs completely on my own. And then we go into the studio and we, you know, we work them, you know, we, 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 you know, we go, you know, where, where should that go there? And that's just, that's been our natural method all along. However, on Jupiter Calling, I think for the first time ever, the four of us wrote a song, oh, wow. you know, and certainly three of us have done it before. And we've all partaken in every song for sure. But the actual writing process was, was super interesting because Karen had come up with this motif this is son of solomon the song which is one of my favorites she'd come up with this piano motif and the other two hadn't turned up to the studio one day and we were in there going well what are we going to do and i said what's that thing you were playing the other day so then i wrote the other side of it you know on violin and then we worked and we found the chords and then neither of us were in the next day and jim and andrea turned up and they heard it and then they started crafting out of it so it was a four-way right. Oh, wow. So that was, and it, it was lovely. It was easy to find, you know, where it needed to go. It was kind of lovely, yeah. So do you write on the violin, not on the piano? No, I write on the piano all the time. Okay. Yeah. And do, do the song, do the other songs come easily to you or do, do, is everything kind of that, that sort of process that you're talking about where you have to feel it before you can write it? There's different, I mean, for me specifically, well, it's kind of always the way I write, but sometimes they're harder than others. And, you know, you really, the thing about pushing the writing process is that it's wrong. <laughs> I mean, it just sort of goes against the laws of nature. It sort of is like a gift to you. And if you get too much into sort of organizing it, it, it tends to bugger off on you, you know, and go, I'm not working with you. You're crap. You know, it's like, it's like you're trying to box me off. 
I, I let it sort of free flow in me. Sometimes that's a little bit more elusive and I think, okay, just leave that. You've got a good part. Come back to it, you know? And one thing that was curious that happened on the, on the last album, which was basically The Fool and the Scorpion, the song, I'd written the lyrics on a plane and the lyrics were feisty. I mean, they were like the most, the lyrics with teeth, they were like vampire lyrics. It was like, you know, it was just like, I was like on the plane going, wow. You know, <laughs> anyway, but it was a painful process, but a beautiful process because I was eliminating stuff out of what I was feeling. But I knew as soon as I just, I was just writing, 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 writing. Um, and that's a real gift. It's a real, you know, I don't mean it's my gift. It's a gift to me. Yeah. And, but I instinctively knew, leave it. Let those words just, and then, you know, maybe in two weeks time, the music will come to you, you know? And then two weeks later, I'm, I'm, I'm messing around on the piano and I find a motif um, just naturally. And it was really hypnotic and it sounded like a sort of a tornado. It, it felt like a tornado and I went, oh my God, this is it. So then I just looked at my words and then just started working it together. So yeah, that's the process. Oh, I'm, I envy you. That's a, that's a, it is a gift because not otherwise we'd all do it. There's only so many of us who can do it and uh, and you're one of those and, and we're glad that you are. Thank you. We're glad that you are. Thank uh, you. Looking forward to this uh, this big concert uh, on the 26th of November and I hope it is the precursor of a, a tour so all of Australia gets the chance to to once again revisit yeah. the love affair that we've had with the cause for many, many years now and it's uh, it will continue for many, many more. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Yeah. You got a couple of the brilliant songs of the cause. They're appearing okay. as we as we mentioned. Very good. Just uh, just the one uh, show that they're doing at Hope Estate Winery on the twenty sixth of November. But as Sharon said in that interview, got a feeling they might be doing some more touring, uh, and we might see them back here in uh, in twenty twenty three, which would be very good. Now, Brian, we come to the end of this uh, this show. It's been a big one. An absolute ripper, Kev. And we're going to finish this yeah, one by, by by reminding everyone about Murcott's Driving Excellence, of course, one three hundred five 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 seven six. That's that number that you need to call. Get a gift certificate for Christmas. It takes the worry out of people driving cars, and you have to worry about them because you'll know they've been through the Murcott system, and uh, and they've come out the other end much better drivers. Murcotts.edu.au is the is the website. Now, Brian, we're going to finish with a song that uh, that Johnny Ruffo wrote. Uh, during his uh, chemotherapy, which, which obviously is ongoing, but he, he wrote this song apparently uh, to kind of sum up the feelings of just putting everything down, forgetting about all your troubles and just jumping in the car and, and going away. It's called Let's Get Lost, so I thought it'd be a, a nice way to finish off uh, this particular program. Uh, we thank uh, Sharon Kaur, we thank Johnny for his time and we wish him and Tony all the very best for the future. Yes, yes. just before we finish that song, Let's Get Lost, that wasn't the original title. It was, and the, the record producer said, no, nah, you can't say that, Johnny. It's let to go, let's get lost. Because <laughs> what, what he had was let's get, it was, I don't know, you know, whether, you know, radio would have liked, would have appreciated. But um, I know the story because I'm Johnny's friend. And um, so let's tell the listener, let's get lost rather than let's get the other one. Exactly. Uh, and until the next time, take care, Brian. We'll talk to you soon. I shall indeed, my friend, and keep on rocking. Hey, baby girl, what do you say? Pack up the car, get away for a couple days. You and I are running wild like the time we had before life got in the way. We could take it on down the coast, drop top down on the open road, lay a little rubber when the green light goes. Throwback replay. Dashboard DJ singing every song on the radio. Let's get loud, on our wheels into the sunset. Let's do something we ain't done yet. Come on, come on. Let's get loud, let it go, don't fight the feeling. Let the moment take the feeling. Just go where it goes. Let's get loud. Get so lost we find ourselves again We'll take our time and get it right Find a cheap motel and we can see the night Take out red wine, girl, you're all mine Wearing nothing but that TV light Let's get lost Turn our wheels into the sunset Let's do something we ain't done yet Come on, come on Dashboard DJ singing every song on the radio. Radio, radio. Let's get lost on the wheels into the sunset. That's something we ain't done yet. Come on, come on. Let's get lost. Let it go, don't fight the feeling. That moment takes feeling. Get low.
Say it.